0: Today, we launch into a new two-week series, mini-series on prayer. Now, our church wants to be persistent in prayer so that wherever we go, whether it's here in the worship center or community groups or whether it's in prayer teams, you know, men's, women's ministries, everywhere, their prayer is not only featured, it's a priority. So um, today, um, we're gonna be looking at one of the most uh, memorable prayers of Jesus, it's called the Lord's Prayer. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, verses nine and 10. You'll see that on page 859 in the Bibles under the seats uh, in front of you. Now, uh, this is better called the Disciples Prayer. Uh, The prayer is actually embedded in uh, the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew five, six, and seven. And uh, here in this sermon, Jesus exhorts his followers, his disciples, uh, to avoid three common prayers uh, that were going on during this time. The first thing he said is, is praying as a performance. You see, pious Jews at that time were praying to an audience, they loved the attention and the, the self affirmation that comes from it, says, It says, don't be like them. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. He said, truly I say to you, you, uh, you, they have their reward. And then he goes on to explain what true prayer really looks like. Uh, Another error he identified is praying with sin in the heart. If we regard sin in our heart, uh, it breaks our relationship with God. Now, we know that the forgiveness is found only in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins, right? But nevertheless, when um, we harbor sin of unforgiveness in our hearts, it it hinders our prayer life. And it really kind of shows that we lack the understanding anyway of Jesus' grace and forgiveness in our own lives, so... Another error, and this is the one that Jesus is pointing to today, is is that of avoiding empty, useless repetitions in prayer. He said, like the pagans. The word repetition, it occurs only once in the New Testament. It it is here. In Matthew chapter 6, actually the word means to babble. You see, pagans at that time worshiped the multiple of gods, and they would just babble out the names of these gods in hopes to catch the attention of one of them. They didn't know who might be listening at the time. And, uh, and then direct their prayer to them. Uh, Jesus says, don't be like them. He said, for your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you ask him. And then he says, in this manner or in this way, therefore, And then he uh, gives us, really, the the prayer that we're going to look at today. You know, Jesus here presents this model for prayer, and we see, instead of empty repetitions, we see clear, concise uh, ways to express ourselves in prayer, centered on God and his resources. Now, remember, this isn't the only time that Jesus taught on prayer. Jesus spent long hours in prayer before the Father. He said in Matthew chapter 5, he taught on prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, in the same sermon, he also uh, taught more on prayer. But one might picture the Lord's Prayer like this. The Father's character. Our Father who art in heaven. The Father's kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Father's provision, give us this day our daily bread. The Father's forgiveness, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The Father's guidance, and lead us not into temptation. And then the Father's protection, and deliver us from evil. So today, we're going to be looking at the first two the Father's character and the Father's kingdom. First, we're going to look at his character. So, how does Jesus begin this prayer? I and mean, he could use any word, but he uses the word our. You get that? The word of our hour. Uh, uh, since he uses that word, what does that imply to us today? It means when we pray to our Father, we are joining with each other as members of the same family because we have the same Father, right? The person on your right, the one on your left, Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, Independent, we are all members of the same family under the same Father. Notice, too, how immediate the connection is. There's no kind of path to catch the Lord's attention. No kind of empty repetition in hopes that he's listening. He comes right into the presence of God and calls him Father because he immediately listens. No mention of gurus, priests, holy hierarchies. When we we say the word our Father, all those titles just get left behind and we come to our father as one of his children, right into his presence because we don't need to try to get his attention. He's already listening. When we stay our, we enter into a worldwide bond. When a brother in Nigeria is grieving the loss of a loved one, we're, our hearts go out to him. When, when a pastor in the Ukraine is overwhelmed with uh, supplying resources to refugees, our hearts go out to them and want, we want to help them as well. When we see multitudes coming to Christ in China, yeah, our hearts just celebrate with our Christian brothers and sisters there. When we pray our, our hearts are united like in no other time. I remember Pastor Wally Wilson, the founding pastor here, he said, "If you if you really want to get to know someone, pray with them." How true! You know, one of the greatest blessings I have here at Highlands is joining in prayer every week in our prayer teams, and we we pray as a team. You know, it's a, a different team every uh, week of the month, and and then we rotate to a new month, but let me tell you how rich and what a blessing it is for me to hear these members of these prayer teams open their hearts in prayer. It's wonderful. And we pray for requests from you that you include on the request uh, on the uh, connect card. We also pray for our missionaries every week. And so, uh, you know, if you want to join a prayer team, it's easy. Just talk to me after the service, I'll be out in the lobby or, or you can sign up on the Connect card and uh, we'll get in touch with you as well. But Jesus goes on here, he says, our father who is in heaven. Now the word father here means Abba. It's in Aramaic, it means daddy. It is uh, a name that's used by children for uh, this, the intimate relationship that a child would have with his daddy is intensely personal. And Jesus wants us to know that we can approach the throne room of God himself as a child, speaking to his daddy, bringing security and provision and blessing. Perhaps today, though, you don't really have a memory of what it means to have a father like that. And even to think of God as your father might bring back painful memories for you. Well, this heavenly father of ours, he's unlike any on earth. He will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never ridicule or mock you. He will never ignore you. He will always be faithful to you because even when you're faithless, you will never withhold any good thing for your life. You will never be separated from his love because you are precious in his sight. In fact, your heavenly father Never stops thinking about you. If you come to your, to the throne room of God, did you know your heavenly father? It's like he lays down everything because you're there. He wants to hear what you have to say. Psalm 139 says, God, how precious are your thoughts to me? How vast is the sum of them? If I counted them, they were outnumbered, the grains of sand. And when I wake up, I am still with you. God is never distracted from thinking about you. And that passion he has for you is as fresh as the day he created you. And that excitement continues until the day he sees you face to face. And that's why you never need to be ashamed to call him your father. Perhaps you're here today and you wonder whether God even exists. Or whether he's good or personal, really in control of things. You're not sure. Well, know this, that Jesus' first words in this prayer are that you would come to know God in a personal, intimate way. That is his prayer for you, like your heavenly daddy. And to speak of your daddy in this way would be just like when Jesus was approaching his father in prayer or when the disciples would be talking to Jesus while he was on earth. Just a few weeks ago, we, uh, we celebrated the life of Marilyn Wilson, one of our longtime church uh, members here who went home to be with Jesus just recently. And years earlier, Marilyn wrote down her life story. Man, she answered all these questions about her life. But one of the questions was this. What spiritual legacy would you leave for others? And why is this important to you? And she answered that I was an overcomer and endured to the end. That I loved God more than life itself. And that others found Jesus because they want to get to know my friend. On the night of September 26, 1975, Marilyn confessed her need for Jesus and opened her heart to him and she was born again. The next morning, actually, she opened her Bible to Galatians four. Let's read that, four through six. It says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit, the son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. Today, if Marilyn were here, standing with me here, she would say, hey, come over here. I want you to meet, I want you to meet my friend. I want you to meet my, my daddy. And really, you know, what, what she said begs the question in me, man, and others, you know, do you really know him in that way? Do you, do you personally know him in that way? Because that has been God's plan all along. But mankind, every human being, has had a problem. And you see, we, we find this, in the words of Isaiah, and it's just as true now as it was 2,600 years ago, it said this, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he is not here. But you see, God had a solution. He had a plan. God has made a way for everyone on earth to know him personally. He became a man and his name is Jesus. He took your sins in his body on the cross and was crucified and rose again so you would never be separated from him and you could experience the same kind of relationship that Marilyn had. Jesus said this, he said, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here today, and God is just out there somewhere, you're not sure where. And you really can't say in your heart you know him as a father, you know, as your friend. Well, let me encourage you, just as Marilyn did, open your heart to him and let him come in. Begin to build that relationship with him. Someone really can't trust in someone that they don't know, right? So open open the Bible, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and their accounts of Jesus and let that speak into your heart as you get to know him better. And next, uh, you know, perhaps you're a follower of Jesus. You know, and I, this touched my heart. Would I have the confidence to say maybe to a coworker, friend, or a loved one, would I have the confidence to say, hey, come and meet my friend. I want to have you meet my, my, my daddy. And the same thing applies deep in your relationship with him. So it becomes so natural a part of your life that that would be the first thing out of your mouth. Well, next Jesus says this. He says, our Father who is in heaven uh, and uh, he isn't on a mountain. No, he isn't in a temple. He is not earthly. He is in heaven. You don't need a plane ticket to get there. He doesn't reside in anything made by human hands. Moreover, he isn't a figment of your imagination. He isn't some... uh, Neurochemical impulse in the synapse of the neurons in your brain. When our bodies die, God will remain in heaven. When this earth perishes and is gone, our God will remain in heaven. He needs nothing to complete himself he was and is and always will be. He is pre existent. He is the ancient of days. He is the eternal one. And he is in heaven. Psalm 115 says this says, Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Solomon noted this when he was building the temple. He says, But who is able to build a temple for him since? Even heaven and the highest heaven can't contain him. And that leads us really to our next thought in prayer. Jesus prays, your name be honored as holy or hallowed, you know, be thy name. Now, names in those days meant a whole lot more than they do today. In antiquity, the names and the qualities associated with that name We're one and the same. So in the opening of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, we find that the baby was to be called Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins, right? You see, the name and the activity went together. In fact, the name Jesus is a conjunction of two words meaning, I am thy salvation. And God's name is also holy, isn't it? It's set apart. He is so holy that even human beings at the very sight of his glory feared for their life. This is true of Jesus too. In his ministry on earth, remember when when Peter uh, witnessed the great catch of fish at his boat And he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Lord, away from me, for I am a sinful man. After the resurrection, Jesus said to Thomas, uh, he said, hey, Thomas, come over here. Put your your fingers in my hands. Put Put your hand in my side. He said, don't be faithless. Only believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord, and my God, let me read in Mark chapter 4 too. That's a great story. Why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 37. This is a story of uh, Jesus asleep at, at, at the wheel, asleep in the back of the boat. You know that story. And we'll start with verse uh, uh, 37 here. Um, And it says this, it says, (laughs) he said, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern sleeping in the cushion. And so the disciples woke him and he said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And asked one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I wonder really, When were they more afraid, during a storm or afterwards? (laughs) Actually, the word afraid, the terrified, it means to fear a great fear. It means of all the selections I have of fear, it's the one on the far, you know, on the far end. It's terrified. They were afraid of the storm because he is holy, because he's awesome in power, Mary, the mother of Jesus, said this before Jesus was born. He praised God saying, for he that is mighty has done me great things and holy is his name. The apostle John, one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus on earth said this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as one of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The apostle uh, Peter writes this, another eyewitness who traveled with Jesus, he says, we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his what? His majesty. Our Father is holy. You ever ask yourself maybe the question, why should we pray, hallowed be thy name anyway? I mean, doesn't God already kind of know that? Isn't he already that? Well, it's a reminder to ourselves, isn't it? When we pray that. When we begin in prayer and we recognize who we're praying to, it, it encourages us to live a life that pays attention, doesn't it, to a holy God. Over a century ago, Charles Finney said this. He said, people who seek the day when God's name is hallowed throughout the earth must not only pray for his name to be hallowed, they must live it, as if they value the honor of his name right now. Really doesn't take an extensive search in the Christian church today to really find out that there's something wrong with so many stories coming out about failures happening in this church, I wonder, is, is part of the reason because we're forgetting or minimizing the holiness of the God that we serve? Sure, we have the, the friend, you know, the, the fatherly part down, but what about the holiness and the majesty and the awesome power of our God? Well, to summarize, this is just one verse. <laughs> we learn this, that God is personal, right? And present. Now, he knows our thoughts before we think them. And the word for this, I guess the theological word, is imminent. Our God is imminent. When we sing and we worship, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus, that we declare the imminence, the the personal, the intimacy of God. But we also learn that God is transcendent. In other words, that he is holy. His thoughts are altogether higher, and his ways are altogether higher than our ways. And so we sing holy, 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 right? Is the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus says in this one verse that our prayers need to be a balance of the two. We need to come to him recognizing who he is. And that balance is what our worship team bring to us every single Sunday. Then Jesus focuses, he shifts his focus to um, this, the Father's kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven not only is God our Father, right? But he's also a king. He is the king. And that should make a difference, shouldn't it? In how we pray and, how, and what we pray for. The kingdom of God doesn't refer, as yet anyway, to some physical location here on earth. No, it, it refers to the rule of God in our hearts and into the lives of his people. The church of Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God here on earth. We serve a king now who is actively participating in the world through us. Now, the natural prayer of man is, my kingdom come, my will be done. I guess, you know, we want what we want. But to pray your kingdom come, your will be done is a cry for God's kingdom to reign in our life. It's a personal prayer. It's a prayer of submission to God's uh, rule in our lives. It's a, it's a prayer of saying, uh, I want to do whatever is necessary to advance his kingdom wherever I'm at. It's a prayer of anticipation, this, this holy anticipation that one day evil will end and righteousness will pre- reign on the earth. To pray, Your kingdom come, means to live it. It means to live it wherever we are. When we pray, Thy will be done, what we're doing is aligning ourselves with His will, not ours. And we pray that God's purposes and His desires are fulfilled here on earth in Renton, in our community, but also in our life. And it's this model that should motivate us when we come to the Lord in prayer. David said this, he said, I desire to do your will. Yea, your law is within my heart. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work that he has given me to do. Matthew 26, 39 says, going a little further on in Gethsemane, Jesus said he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not I will, but as you will. See, the foundation of this prayer that we're talking about today is that God's will be Jesus prayed this throughout his ministry on earth. It just wasn't in the Lord's prayer. It was a part of his prayer life and it should be a part of ours as well. Unfortunately, what's happened? Thousands of churches recite this prayer every week. Millions repeat the words. And I wonder... This. Um, Has it become an empty repetition? I mean, in our lives, I mean, it would be my prayer that it doesn't. You know, when I pray, do I have an idea of God's will for my life or a desire or an inclination even to accomplish His will in my life today, now? See, Jesus' teaching here, that praying for God's will in our lives lies at the very foundation again of our prayers. But, you know, many times we're tempted, aren't we, to switch the roles. Instead of asking God for his will to be done in us, we basically are asking God to comply with our will. Remember, we're his sons and daughters Our Father's will is to make us and mold us to be like Jesus, to conform us to the image of Christ. And that is not an easy process. It says this in Hebrews 12. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for, for what children are not disciplined by their father? So when we say thy will be done, we're agreeing with him Lord, make me and mold me to be like Jesus. We're not asking God to change his will or to bless our wills. We're asking God to do everything he can to make us to be like Jesus, whatever the cost. And praying for that kind of control over our lives might sound a little unnerving, right? For those of you mom and dads, that have experienced this, you remember what it felt like for your 15 and a half year old son or daughter to get behind the wheel for the first time? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, uh, for those of you younger uh, moms and dads, you have something to look forward to because the word unnerving doesn't describe it. You see, handing over the steering wheel of your life to God Does not need to feel that way? I read this a few weeks ago. Anonymous author, I want to pass this along to you. The will of God will never take you. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, where the arms of God cannot support you, where the riches of God cannot supply your needs, where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you. Where the spirit of God cannot work through you, where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the armies of God cannot protect you and the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you. Where the love of God cannot enfold you, where the mercy of God cannot sustain you, where the peace of God cannot calm your fears, where the authorities of God cannot overrule for you. The will of God will never take you. Where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears. Where the word of God cannot feed you. The miracles of God cannot be done for you and where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. See, many times the difficulties in our life drive us to our knees, and that's where God does his work. And when you're tired, when you have issues going on in your life, what do you do? Jesus says, look to me first. Look to your Father. In heaven, focus first on him, on his great holiness, mercy, and power. Corey Tenboom, a Holocaust survivor from World War II, said this If you look at the world, you'll be de- distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Well said. In a recent visit to an ailing church member, I noticed a scripture verse that was written by her bedside. It was on an eight and a half or eight by 11 sheet of paper in large letters, tacked up on the wall. And it said this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26.3. How no true. So look to your heavenly Father. Look to the Holy One in his majesty and his glory. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So look up when you pray, before you look out, before you look in, to our Father who is in heaven holy is his name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Well, Father, we commend ourselves to you. Holy is your name. You are majestic in all of your glory. Father, you Um, You treat us as sons and daughters, loved ones. We are precious in your sight. You incline your ear to us. Lord, we thank you. We can come boldly before your presence that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Lord, we just do commend ourselves to you and pray, Lord, that this prayer, that this prayer would never mean the same thing again. Lord, fill us by your spirit. Give us the desire and the power now to live out your will on earth. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?